listening to a podcast from GravityChurch.com, Lodi, California. It's so good to have them be able to come and just give us a glimpse. For many of you um, that have been hanging out with us during the week, Wednesday nights we've been going through a Bible study called True Faced. And for many of us, it's giving us the freedom to take off the masks that we wear in our lives with each other, with our relationships with people, but ultimately with God. Because every single one of us, whether we see it or not, have a tendency to want to hide. We have a tendency to want to not show who we really are and what we're really going through and all the things that are happening in our life. And because of that, we wear a mask a lot of times. And, and that drama just shows it just perfectly what that looks like and how it affects relationships. We've learned on Wednesday nights that when you wear a mask, it feels safe because you're protected. But the problem with wearing a mask is that you never really feel love. Your mask gets all the love. And you never get to know what it feels like to really be loved for who you are. And getting free from that is a big deal. And it's a process. It's not overnight. And we've been inviting you, and we will continue to invite you along the journey with us. We know that coming together on a Saturday night is an exciting time, and for many of us, it's a highlight of our week to be able to come and worship God and to come into a place together where we can be with people that we enjoy and hear music and teaching, but it doesn't help us really get real. You've got to go a step further, and you have to begin to allow people into your life. We've been talking about that. We're going to continue that tonight. As we open the Bible, we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to get even more real, to get even more vulnerable with each other. Last week, we talked about a, a passage in John where Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says these amazing words, he says to his followers, he says, trust God, but also trust me. He says, trust God, that's good. But he says, also trust me. And in that moment, Jesus was showing an example for us of what it looks like to have healthy relationships in our life. He was saying, it's not enough just to have a relationship with God where I trust God if I don't have a relationship with the people in my life. We learned and we are learning that one of the things that we have a tendency to do is to want to take care of ourselves. We want to control our life. We want to control everything around our existence because it feels safe, it feels protected, it keeps harm away, it keeps us from not getting hurt. The only problem with that is that the Bible describes that as pride. The Bible says that pride is me taking care of me. The Bible says, Jesus says, you've got to be humble. And the opposite of pride is humility. So if pride says, I take care of me, then the opposite of that, humility, must say, I'm going to let you take care of me. Oh man, that's scary. That's scary to, to make yourself vulnerable to people, especially if you've been burned, especially if you've lived it all in this planet that we call earth. You've been burned, I guarantee it. But we are learning together that we have to trust God and others with me, with you. I have to trust God 
and others with me. And so as we continue on this, we learn together that there is this beautiful arrangement that Christ came and established, this beautiful, organic, relational dynamic that God created, and it's called the church. It's called the family of God. And throughout Scripture, it describes what this looks like to come together in healthy relationships and share in each other's burdens, to help carry each other's load, to help give to each other what they really need, because none of us None of us has everything that we need in and of ourselves. We have to learn how to share in each other's burdens and how to be able to go through life with each other. At the end of the day, in order for you and I to be able to truly experience what I believe is the healthy model that Jesus came and showed the world what it's supposed to look like, we have to commit to one, each, one another. We have to get involved in each other's lives. We have to be able to make the statement, I am committed to walk through this life with you no matter what comes. I have to be willing to be bold enough, not to fix you, not to have the answers for you, not to tell you what to do or how to do it, but to commit to you through the journey, to be able to go through it with you, to say, we're in this together. I'm committed to you. And I need for you to be able to commit to me. And as this organic, healthy relationship begins to grow, we begin to experience grace. And when grace happens, we begin to experience what we just saw behind us. The freedom for us to take off our masks. See, the Father sat down at the computer and poured out his heart to God and said all of these things about what he was going on inside. But it was only when he made himself vulnerable that he was able to receive grace and feel the freedom to take off the mask. In Matthew chapter 18, I want to read to you an interesting passage of Scripture. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. Jesus is talking to us in this passage, and he says these words. He says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, then you have won that person back. But if you are successful, then take one or two others with you and then go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, then take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Jesus is talking here about one of the deepest situations that you and I face all the time in our life. He's talking about unresolved sin. Unresolved sin. What does it mean to have unresolved sin in your life? Well, it's something that actually you can feel the effects of more than you can actually point it out. 
Let me explain it to you like this. If I do something to my friend Alan and I hurt him or I do something that sins against him, there's something in our relationship that now is unresolved. It hasn't been taken care of. And as a result of this relational problem, Alan feels hurt. Unresolved sin, when it's done against somebody else, results in hurt. You feel hurt. You feel pain. You feel, wow, I've been hurt in this situation. But I, on the other hand, am the offender. I'm the one that inflicted the pain. I am dealing with unresolved sin in my life too. And the results of it on me result in guilt. I feel guilty. I feel guilty because I said something or I did something that hurt him. Unresolved sin brings tension in our life. Unresolved sin is the biggest thing that separates us from each other. It separates us in our marriages. It separates us between father and son. It separates us in, in the job and the workplace. It separates us in our neighborhood. It separates us in the place that we worship. Unresolved sin. When it goes undealt with, it creates guilt and hurt. And so Jesus comes to this situation and he says to us, look, this is a big deal. This is something that you have to look at. As a matter of fact, when you look through the teachings of Jesus, you'll find that he is so strong about it, that he feels so strongly about dealing with unresolved sin, that he even says, if you go to church and the time in the service is when you're supposed to present your offering to God, if you're supposed to go and you're supposed to give God of your money or your resources or whatever it is, and you're coming to the altar to present a gift to God and, and, and you know that you have unresolved sin in your life, Jesus says, drop your gift and go take care of that first. He says, don't even come to the altar of God and try to present an offering to him because you up in your life that's not taken care of. There's a relational breach and it's separating you. Why is it so important for us to deal with the things in our life? Guys, we've been talking for a month and a half now about this idea of being one. What does it mean to be one? When we go back in the prayer of Jesus and he prayed one of the last prayers on earth, he says, God, I am praying for all of the followers that will ever walk this planet. And my prayer, Jesus says, is that you would make them one so that the world will see my love. When we're together, the world sees the love of Jesus. When we are apart, the world cannot see the love of God. We are the replica. We are the conduit. We are the image. We are the ones that Jesus portrays his love through. So for us to come together is critical. It's important. In the book of Proverbs, there's a scripture. It says, people who conceal their sin will not prosper. But if they confess and turn, they will receive mercy. People who conceal their sin, people who try to hide the stuff in their life versus when we confess and turn. What does it mean to confess something and to turn from it? Well, on the surface, you would think that confession is just saying something out loud. It's just talking. It's just 
admitting, oh man, I messed up, I did something wrong, it's, you know, it's just what I do, I'm, I'll just confess it, you know, yeah, you caught me. But confession isn't just words spoken. There's something much deeper that has to take place and for this to happen. See, confess and trust really go together. Because in order for me to truly say what is really going on in my life, I have to trust you. There has to be something there to where I feel that I can open up the depths of my heart to you. Confess and trust go together. Confess and trust, they go hand in hand. As a matter of fact, when I trust you and then when I open up, I am literally inviting you into my sin. I'm inviting you into the dark, ugly, painful places of my life that I don't want anybody to know about. Why? Why would we go through this? Why is this so important? Why is unresolved sin and dealing with it so critical? It's because it separates us. It keeps the mask on our faces so that we can't know each other, that we can't ever be real. And what is it that the world needs right now more than anything else? Do they need another prophet saying judgment day is coming tomorrow? Do they need another televangelist on the, on the, on the TV showing us how big and fancy a church can be only to find that they are just a man and they have a moral failure? Do we need all of these other things that we see publicized all over the world? Is that what we need? No. The world needs to see the love of God. The world needs to experience the grace of God. Why can't they see it? Because we're not together. They can't see it because we are separated. And we are separated because we can't trust each other. And we can't take our our masks with each other. And God is calling us into trust. God is calling us into confession. God is calling us into this place of knowing each other. See, confession is not just an admission of something wrong. Confession is not me just saying, hey, I did it, you caught me. Confession is an invitation. It's me saying to you, come in, be a part of my life. Come in, see who I really am. See what I am really all about. In 1 John, there's a passage of scripture that talks about the love of God and it talks about the power of it. And it talks about how it affects our life. And in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, it says these words. It says, this is the message that we heard from Jesus. And now we declare it to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. But if we claim that we have no sin, then we are only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins And to cleanse us from all wickedness. 
If we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. This passage, it says that when we come together in the light of God, that there is fellowship. There's togetherness. We come together in this relational dynamic of being connected, not separated, being one. This word fellowship is a Greek word that is, it comes from a fancy word called koinonia. And what this word literally means is an association of close mutual relationship and involvement with one another. It's an alliance with another person or group. It says that there is intimacy, there's singleness of purpose, there is trust for one another, there can be sharing of material goods, and there is, har- and there is harmony. What does this describe to you when you think of these, these descriptive words? Nothing between us, nothing separating us. Now, many times when we get to this point in our understanding of Scripture and our understanding of our relationship with God, we instantly apply this to our little world, right? I think of the people that I know. I think of the friends in my life. I think of where I go to church. I think of the people that I connect with. And I think, okay, so this is talking about my little sphere, my little world. But Jesus is saying, no, this is something so much bigger than just your little world. This is the entire family of God. This is the entire body of Christ. If to take every single person that calls themselves a follower of Christ, a Christian, a believer, there's all kinds of terms for it. There's all kinds of people that, you know, in the gospel and the teachings of Jesus, if we were to bring them all together in one place and we were to get rid of every label and we were to get rid of every descriptive adjective that we use for each other, you know, we have tons of them. I mean, conservative, liberal, charismatic, Baptist, Catholic, Presbyterian, Methodist. We have so many labels that it's not even funny that we could put on people all the time. Why do we do that as people? Because we need to know how things fit. We have this built-in need to have to have order and control of everything in our life or else it does us, it does us in. It drives us crazy. And so when we see people that aren't like us, we don't know what to do with that. When I see somebody that worships in a different manner or reads the Bible and it says, well, this is what this verse means, but I read it and I think, well, that's not what that means. There's something between us. There's tension. There's conflict. There's, there's controversy. We don't know what to do with that. So what is our instinct? Let's label each other. Okay, well, you believe what you want. I'll believe what I want. And you just stay in your little spot. I'll stay in my little spot. And you guys will be fine, okay? We'll just kind of coexist in planet Earth and we'll be fine. The whole point of the love of God and the beauty of the body of Christ and the family of God coming together is to begin to love each other in spite of the differences, in spite of the controversy, in spite of the differences of everything. Jesus says, my love is big enough to bring the whole world together. And there's nothing else like it on planet Earth. Nothing else like it. If any of you guys are into technology, you will remember 
back in the mid-80s, if you had a computer, chances are you had an IBM or an, what we used to call an IBM compatible, right? You had what now we call a PC. You had a computer and that's all there was. If you remember, if you go back far enough, in 1984, there was this famous television that, commercial that came on during the Super Bowl. And it was the first time that Apple computers had ever come on the scene. And if you've never seen the commercial, YouTube it, because it's really eerie. And, it go, and you'd think back, you're like, wow, 1984 was a long time ago for them to do this. But what this picture was, was all of these rows of people. They were all dressed the same. They all looked identical. And they were all marching like this, like clones. And they were all in the same exact place, doing the same exact thing. And the, and the, the commercial was basically portraying for us, everybody is exactly the same. And all of a sudden, there comes this new guy on the scene, and he, he takes this sledgehammer, he comes walking up to this big, giant movie screen that all of these clones are watching, and it's got all this imagery, and he takes this sledgehammer, and he smashes it, and it blows up. And it's the first commercial of Apple Macintosh computers, and it says something along the lines of, there is a better way, or there is another way, or, you know, something like that. But the picture was so perfect of what we do to each other. You're either this or you're this. Now, how many of you in here have an iPhone or have an Apple laptop or an iPad or how about an iPod? Anybody ever heard of an iPod? Nobody had a clue back in 1984 just how much a thought like that was going to change the technology world. Apple Computers today is the most valuable company in the tech world. They're bigger, they're more valuable than Microsoft, they're more bigger, they're, they're, they're it. And people say that Apple's taken over the world in, in, that, in that realm. They started, it was a radical idea to do something that nobody else was doing. My friends, the love of God is such a radical idea that what you and I see right now is a freaking cheap imitation. It's a bunch of clones all going through the motion saying, I love God, oh, I'm a Christian, I go to church, and blah, blah, blah. All the while, we all have our labels and we all do something, and there is no accurate portrayal of the true, pure love of God that grabs people right where they're at and says, I don't care where you come from. I don't care what you believe. I don't care if you look like me. It's not about that. I've experienced something that wrecked my life. I was dead and I am alive. I was lost and I've been brought into the family that I longed for my entire life. And you have got to experience what I'm talking about. And it's not about a church, and it's not about a creed, and it's not about a denomination, and it's not about an interpretation of Scripture. It's about a heart. It's about the grace of God getting a hold of the heart. And I am here to tell you that there are people that I am meeting in churches all over the Central Valley right now who are walking up to that movie screen in their church and in their little circle, and they are smashing it, and they are saying, enough is enough. I want something else. I want to be one. I want to be the fulfillment of the prayer of Jesus. I want to come together with my brothers and sisters. I don't care where they worship. I don't 
care where they go to church. I am longing for my family and I am tired of being separated by labels. I'm tired of being separated by, well, you do it this way or you do it that way. I want my family together. I'm tired of being isolated and apart. And when Jesus, and and in this scripture, when it talks about koinonia, when it talks about fellowship, and it says, you've got to come into God's light. You've got to be in the light to experience this. You've got to come into the light in order to experience this dynamic. What it's saying is, there can be no hiddenness. There can be no fakeness. There can be no, no lack of being who you are and genuineness. You've got to be the dad behind the computer that sits down with his daughter and says, Here's, this is what's going on in my heart. Because if he never sees what's on the screen, she can never say, Dad, let me show you grace. Let me set you free from the lie that you are hiding behind that says that you have to hide. My friends, this goes all over the place right now. And there are thousands all around us in the city of Lodi and in the city of Galt, and in the city of Stockton that are suffering from this same empty feeling of, I can't get real. I can't be free. And all the while, God is saying, come into the light that you may be able to. Many of us know the story of the prodigal son that Jesus told. Jesus tells this, tells this parable of a father who has two sons. And these two sons have been with him until they're of age. And one of the sons comes to his dad and he says, Dad, I want to leave home. I want you to give me what I've got coming to me. The dad was a wealthy man and the sons knew that at some point when dad passed away, they were going to get an inheritance. And so he says, Dad, I want mine early. I want you to give me what I'm going to get. It was a society that didn't honor this action at all. It was a slap in the face to dad to basically say, I wish you were dead. Give me what I got coming. And the dad was broken and hurt because why would my son ask me for something like that? I'm not even dead yet and he already wants his inheritance. And it was was just complete disrespectful thing. And and so the dad in his pain says, all right, here you go. He gives his... His son is inheritance. And the story goes, as Jesus tells it, that the son takes all of his money and he takes all of the possessions that he's accumulated and he goes out and he parties. The Bible says that he, he lives it up. He, he gets loaded. He buys drugs for his friends. He's got prostitutes. He's got all of these things going on in his life because he's like, this is what I want. This is what my life's all about. And at the end of the story, He spends it all, and all of his so-called friends have left him, all by himself. And this was a time when there was a lot of farming going on, and so there was agriculture, and there was livestock, and so he finds himself homeless, and he finds a pig pen, and and he goes in this rancher's pig pen, he snuggles up with the, the pigs, which was another big no-no, because they were Jewish people, which... They're not supposed to be around pork, and hello, he's living with pork. In other words, he's hit the bottom of the barrel in his life. He can't get any lower. He's done everything that he possibly can do to get away from where he came from. I don't know anybody in this room that's ever been there, right? None of us have ever gone through that. 
But something happens to this guy. The story goes, Jesus says, that at some point, this guy wakes up. He comes to his senses. And then he says some interesting things. He begins to say some things to himself. The story goes that he actually begins to mutter to himself some thoughts. This is what he says. He says, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Aha, at home, even the hired servants, they have enough food to spare. And here I am, I'm dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and I will say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. The story continues that the son goes home and his father is waiting for him with love. And he comes to his father and he says, Father, I have sinned against God and you and I'm no longer worthy to even be called your son. He says exactly what he rehearsed to his father and his father says to him, you were dead and now you're alive. We're going to celebrate. The interesting thing about this story for you and I tonight is not the familiarity of being the prodigal because we all know what that is and we've been there, many of us. It's not necessarily the thing of making big mistakes and losing it all. We know what that feels like too. The interesting thing about the story is the understanding that what he did needed to be dealt with. See, this guy had unresolved sin in his life too. And it had separated him from his father. He began to feel the guilt of what he had done. And his father on the other end was feeling the hurt of what had done to him. And he comes to his senses and he says, I have to make this right. I have to deal with this issue in my life. I can no longer go on any longer ignoring this unresolved sin in my life. So what does he do? What does the story tell us that he does? He repents. He turns from the direction that he was going and he turns and says, I got to go home. I got to go back to the location of where the pain started. I can't deal with it in the pig pen. I can't deal with it right here just between me and God. I would love to just say, God, I'm sorry, man, I really screwed up this time. But there's unresolved sin that he's got to go back home and deal with. How many of you and me really are comfortable talking to God about our sin, but we are not comfortable in the least bit talking to each other about the stuff in our life? We know that God will love us. We know God will forgive us. We know God will show us mercy. And I mean, come on, you can't really see God. People say they hear God, but come on, have you ever really heard God? I mean, it's, it's kind of... It's kind of distant. It's safe. But I see you. And I hear you. 
and it's personal, and it's real, and it's right in my space, and it's uncomfortable. And yet, in order for the love of God to affect the world like I believe God wants it to, we've got to get this, and we've got to come together, and we have got to become one. In the book of James, it says these powerful words. It says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This scripture is slapped right in the middle. This whole dialogue about people who need things in their life. He says, are you sick? Come. Let the church elders pray for you. What do you need in your life? We can give it to you. It describes this beautiful relational dynamic, but then right in the middle of it, it says, you've got to get real. You can't hide from each other. You've got to get real. You've got to enter into relationship with people to the extent that you can truly take off your mask and be known. Many of us right now are hearing these words and the first thing that we're doing is freaking out inside because of all the bad stuff that we do or have done. And we're thinking, is Jason really getting, he's going to make me go and like bare my soul to somebody and just reveal my laundry list? Oh God, here we go. Nobody's going to ever think of me the same. Trust me, you don't want to know about my laundry list. I don't want to know about yours. That's not what this is about. So just take a big deep breath, okay? Everybody just breathe. It's okay. See, if I just come to you and just write all my bad stuff and say, here you go, man. Tim, here. This is me. Here. It does nothing. It does nothing. It doesn't make me feel any better. It probably makes you feel a lot worse because now you know stuff about me you didn't want to know. But it doesn't deal with what we're really talking about. See, that's just surface. That's just scratching the surface. That's an exercise that you and I can go through to try to make ourselves feel better. Guys, God wants us healed. You see what it says? Confess your sins and pray for each other so you may be healed. What are you sick from? What are you sick from right now? Why do you have a list of bad stuff that you do? Why do you feel what you feel emotionally? Why do you react the way that you do when things hit the fan? Why? Because that's what this is really all about. It's about getting healed. It's about getting healed by God. One of my closest friends came to me. Oh, I don't know, probably a year ago, maybe a little less. I know this guy really, really well. We're in each other's lives every day. I mean, talking on the phone and, and doing stuff together. And he came to me and he said, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something. I need to, I need to come clean with you about something that I've been keeping a secret. And he came, he told me that he had had a secret addiction to prescription pills. And he had been fighting it for seven years. And nobody knew. My friend was involved in ministry. He was somebody that was actively involved in people's lives. 
Every single day, he was praying with them. He was ministering to them. This guy loves Jesus with all of his heart. And yet he was carrying something inside that nobody could know about until that day. Now, when he told me, it didn't make me think any differently of him. It didn't make me shocked or disappointed or anything. It didn't, it didn't affect our relationship at all. Matter of fact, it, it actually strengthened our relationship because it demonstrated the trust that was present there, that we were able to really talk and to be able to bear our soul to each other. But what my friend did that day was not just write his dirty laundry on the list and say, man, I've been hiding this a long time. I need to give this to you. I'm kind of feeling bad about it. I need somebody to know. What my friend was doing, what he was saying, I want to be healed from something that I've been sick from for a long time. And I'm ready to let somebody into this part of my heart that's sick. See, when we're sick, we do things because of our sickness. Many of us in this room understand addiction very, very real, in a very real way. We understand that the reason that we drink is because we've got other stuff in our heart that we don't know what to do with. The reason that we use whatever, whether it's drugs or pornography or food or relationships or whatever, we know there's stuff in our heart that isn't healthy, and so we got to deal with it with something. God is inviting us to begin to take the steps towards freedom. And it is steps that cannot be taken alone. They are steps that have to go with others. I wish that I could deal with my stuff and my unresolved sin without ever having to talk to somebody else. But I have hurt people. And those people have to be dealt with for our relationship to be mended and for the healing to take place in my heart so that I can move past my list of whatever. Confess your sins and pray for each other so that you can be healed. We're going to wrap things up tonight. We're going to take a moment before we do communion and before we worship. I want to show you guys a video of a song that fits so well with where many of us are at tonight and especially in dealing with our brokenness and our need to come to God. I want you guys to listen to this song. I want you guys to watch the words and allow them to hit your heart. And then when we come to God tonight in our response time of coming to these tables for communion and worship, let this be a night when you talk to God about your mask and about how you want to get free from it. Check this out. I know I need you I need to love you I'd love to see you But it's been so long I long to feel you 
listening to gravitychurch.com. 